0: As I said, welcome to Outward Church and, and uh, uh, welcome to uh, this uh, warehouse here that we have. You may not have expected what you saw when you came in here, but wh- that was intentional. And so we, we hope that you find uh, a church home if you don't have one and uh, that you get planted somewhere at some point. We obviously have uh, the cross here this morning kind of um, awkwardly in the middle, front and center, and that is because we just wanted to make a point that Jesus and his crucifixion is the point of everything that we do here at Outward Church. It's not behind the stage, it's in front of the stage, it's in the midst, and so we're gathered around the cross of Jesus Christ uh, to worship him this morning. I don't know about you, but uh, as I was growing up as a young man, I, I had this complex where I really wanted to impress people. I really, really wanted to impress, especially uh, the men that I worked for. And I, I wanted to impress them so badly that I would just exert all kinds of energy in order to make this happen. And that meant that when I was on a job site, I was in construction. When I was on a job site, like I, I would do everything I could to make sure that I was seen as the, the guy that hustled the most. I would run everywhere. I would do everything. And it was because I just desired, I wanted for someone to say to me, Matt, you're doing an amazing job. You're doing such An amazing job and so I worked hard and worked hard and worked hard and tried to climb the ladder in my industry until I finally was given uh, a project of my own to manage and so I was managing this project it was a radio station out in uh, Lebanon and uh, so I was in Lebanon and I and I had to uh, you know facilitate Supervise the building of this uh, building. And so I had to meet with the excavators, the men who would be digging things out and placing, you know where, where the, uh, the, the building would be. And so I met with these guys, and, and we agreed on some things, and really, I just kind of trusted them, and I would just kind of looked at it, and I said, "Oh, yeah, it looks pretty good." And so I got down and I was feeling really good about myself and I was getting lots of, of kudos and people thought, Matt, you're an amazing worker. You're, I mean, here you are, like, I think I was 22 and I'm managing this project. I felt so amazing about myself. And then one day the owner of the project calls me and says, hey, Matt, the building is 20 feet in the wrong direction. Not two inches, but 20 feet in the wrong place. And I immediately was filled with all kinds of grief because what I knew was this, is that I would not receive the, Matt, you're doing an amazing job, holy cow, at 22 years of age, what, oh man, this is amazing. What I was going to receive is, this is why you shouldn't be managing projects, Matt, because you're 22 and that's why this doesn't work. And so I was devastated because I could not get the love that I wanted from these people through all of my striving, through all of the work that I did. Uh, Haven't we all had experiences on that level? It may not be work for you, but it may be in relationship. It may be in any number of things uh, that you have going on. But all of us have, have striven for this level of approval from other people, this level of that, just this, this word that says, I love you because you're such an amazing worker. I love you because you're such an amazing uh, person, and I love being in relationship with you. And so we long for that, and I believe that that is put in there intentionally So we really long to be loved so much. Let's look at the story of Abraham here. For those of you that haven't been here uh, since the beginning of the series, uh, we've been talking through the book of Genesis, and really we've gotten into the life of Abraham. And Abraham is an interesting figure because Abraham uh, was a pagan, and he lived in a city called Ur. And one day he hears the voice of God. He hears the voice of God and he, God tells him, go from your country and your kindred to a land that I will show you. So here's a guy, he doesn't, know, he doesn't know anything it seems like about God, doesn't know anything about it at all. And yet, all of a sudden, he's hearing voices, which is kind of crazy. And he hears this voice and God tells him to leave. And what does Abraham do? He obeys. And God gives him a promise. Along with that, even though he is unable to have children with his wife, Sarai, at the time, God gives him this promise, and that, and, and that is that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make you into a great nation, which means he needs to have children, and he gives him these other promises. He's, he says, you're going to be blessed in order to be a blessing to the whole world. Like, it is in and through you, in and through your seed, through your uh, kids that this is going to happen. So God gives him this promise. And so Abraham begins to follow God. He begins to walk with him. He begins to do what God wants him to do. And along the way, God reaffirms these promises. Abraham kind of screws up a couple of times, but God continues to reaffirm his promises to Abraham. But here we are, years and years later, and Abraham still doesn't have a kid. And the one thing that he wants in life is that he wants a child, and he wants a child so bad. In fact, he wanted a child so bad that his wife said, listen, why don't you sleep with my handmaiden, my slave, and have a child uh, through her? But that was not God's plan. He loved this son, Ishmael, but Ishmael was not God's plan. And so finally, 25 years later, the guy is 100 years old, and God finally fulfills his promise and gives him Isaac, and so here he is. He's growing up with this, really, his firstborn son in God's eyes. Ishmael was not his firstborn son in that sense. But his firstborn son, Isaac, he loves this kid. He loves him so much. Can you imagine, after years and years and years of wanting children and wanting to be with your son and to play whatever games they played, uh, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, like stickball or something like that. I have no idea. Uh, Throwing rocks and things like that. Okay. And and all of the things that they would have done together, the years and years that he imagined what he would be doing with the son. He loved this son, and God had fulfilled his promise. And so he was so incredibly excited about this kid. And then you read huh? Excuse me, Lord, I'm not sure that I heard you. I've been waiting for this all of my life. I've been waiting for this amazing uh, son to come, this promised child. And when I get him, and he's finally getting up in age uh, a little bit, now you, you, you want me to sacrifice him as a burnt offering? Child sacrifice? Are you kidding me? That's what you would expect Abraham to say. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, uh, Father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they had come to the place which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound, uh, bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. obeyed my voice. And we'll stop right there. Now, that's a a pretty crazy story when you think about it. When you think about what's going on there, it can be pretty imposing. Why would God ask Abraham to do this? Why would God allow him to go on and on and on till he gets later in life And to finally come to this place where he finally has this kid, he's finally happy, and then God, in a sense, pulls the rug out from underneath him. Isn't this just kind of a sick game that God is playing? Why would God try and require this level of obedience? Why would God require this well, let me tell you, there's considerable pushback on this story. Many, many people who have read this story over the ages because it is absolutely famous, it's even in the Quran. But many, many people have read this story and they really hate it. They look at it and they say, how could this God be this sick? How could this God require this? In fact, Christopher Hitchens, the uh, famous uh, atheist and vehement uh, vehemently against Christianity, says this Religions that say you should admire infanticide, the killing of children, as proof of the love of God, have no claim, no claim at all, to be preaching ethics, let alone morality. Like, this is, you know, the, the first thing. This is the deal. They look at this and they say, This is, this is horrible. This is sick. Look at how immoral this is how do we get why why would God do this why is why would God put himself in this light what is he doing what is he doing well let's look at the passage a little bit closer it says this first of all God is testing Abraham in verse 1 Abraham doesn't know this, but God is testing Abraham. Abraham has had multiple occasions where he's obeyed God, and then when he obeys God, like amazing things take place, and then God comes back and he reaffirms his promise. He reaffirms his commitment to Abraham and how he's going to make him successful. He's going to give him a land and he's going to give him a people. But God goes to Abraham and he tests him. And what he says is he says, Take your son, your only son, and I want you to go up to this land, into these mountains of Moriah. I want you to go up there, and I and I and I want you to sacrifice this son. God, God tells him this. And, and so Abraham's gotta be thinking, Oh my goodness. I mean, and, and you, if you were to put yourself in, in, in this same position, like you hear this word from God, and now you have to make it through the night. And then in the morning, wake up and obey God. Imagine what is going through Abraham's mind as he's sleeping. Did he sleep at all? The text kind of slows down a little bit. And it says, he rose early in the morning, verse three. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And then he cuts the wood for the burnt offering. And then he arose and he went to the place which God had told him. So it's showing him doing little things. He's chipping the wood. If this was a movie, we would have slown the, uh, the film down right here. We would have sh- he's thinking this through and he's going, how am I going to plunge a knife and sacrifice my child, my only son to this God? How am I going to do that? And why is God asking me to do that? And then it says in verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. So he's been traveling for three days. So three days, they're walking at a donkey's pace. They're walking very slowly. Can you imagine walking for three days with your son and walking and walking and walking and having to think, can I do this? Can I ascend this mountain? Can I go up there and can I do this to my son, my only son? Think about what would have been going through his mind as he works to, for, uh, towards obedience to God. And then it says, he tells his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So there's this inkling that Abraham may be saying right there. He may be saying, I know God's going to work this out. I know somehow he's going to figure this out. And so I'm anticipating that somehow God is going to do something miraculous, even though it's, it's as good as done. He's as good as dead. God is going to do something miraculous. I and the boy are going to come back to you, you young men. And so... Then in verse 7, Isaac says to his father, he says, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And here again, we see Abraham, and what's he doing right here? He's essentially giving, he's, he's giving to God his due, and he's saying, God is going to provide it. God is going to provide, and who knows? Is he saying, uh, I don't know, I don't really want to answer that question. Let's use the God card so I don't have to talk to my child about what's about to happen here. Or does he really believe it? Does he really believe God's going to provide a lamb for himself, for the burnt offering? And then it says, so they went, both of them together. Both of them together. So they come to the place which God had told them and Abraham builds the altar. The text slows down again. He builds an altar. And look at every step, every every little thing that he does is captured in words here. And he lays the wood in order. And then he binds his son. Now think for a second here. Isaac is old enough to carry a stack of wood. Isaac is old enough to be able to carry the stack of wood up the hill. He's old enough to realize that things are a little bit weird here. Abraham is 100 years old. Isaac could get away at any moment, but Isaac does not get away. Isaac complies. The father and the son together are now fulfilling God's wishes. And so he binds him and he lays him on top of the altar, on top of the wood. And then look how slow it gets right here in verse 10. Then Abraham reaches out his hand. Now, we've, we've totally slowed down. He reaches out his hand. And he takes the knife to slaughter his son. What is going through Abraham's mind? What is Abraham, uh, what, what is he thinking? What's he thinking about God, why would you ask me to do this? I don't know what I'm, I'm going to do with this. Like, can you imagine the pain, the anguish that's going through him at this point? But then all of a sudden the angel calls out and he says, don't lay your hand on the boy. And he says, for now I know that you fear God, seeing how you have not withheld your son, your only son. Now, we can look at this text, and we can look at what it says, and we can say we can say this for sure, that God wants to see Abraham fully involved, fully engulfed in the idea of trusting God no matter the circumstances, like complete obedience even when he doesn't feel like it. This is what God is looking for from Abraham, and so he's Abraham is complying with this. Abraham is obeying. God is saying, do you really fear me or have you just been going through the motions? As long as it benefits you, as long as things go, uh, go in, in your direction, you'll follow God. As long as life is good, you'll follow God. But let's wait until I take away the one thing that you wanted for your entire life. Now, why would God do something like that? Think about this. If you say, you know what? I want to have relationship with God as long as he doesn't force me to give up this one thing. I want to have relationship with God as long as I can live my life the way that I want. As long as this, as long as that. See, God is testing Abraham, and he's putting him through an absolute furnace. And that furnace is, what is your real God? Because here's the thing. If you have something that you say, okay, as long as I don't have to give up this, then I'll follow God. Here's the problem with that. That thing is actually your God that thing is actually what you're following you're not following the true and the living god as long as there's something that you refuse to obey god in that is the thing that is your true and your living god and god is proving to abraham and to himself apparently even though he's completely sovereign and knows all things that he really does fear him he really does love him he really does. Now you can look at this text, like many people have, many religions have looked at this text, and they look at it as a great story. And the story is essentially this. Obey God no matter what, and then God will accept you. That's, that's what they say. Obey God even when it hurts. Get rid of the thing that's standing between you and God, and then you can have relationship with God complete, absolute, complete and total obedience to God, and then God will accept you. It's like me with my work. It's like if I could obey, if I could be the best contractor, if I could be the best worker, the best superintendent over a project that ever was and put buildings in the right place or something like that, if I could do that, then my bosses would love me. Then they would love me. And you know what? This narrative, what people think this story is about, plays into what we think about God all of the time. It's how I think about my work. It's how we think about our relationships. As long as my spouse, as long as my boyfriend or girlfriend gives me what I want, then I'll feel loved, then I'll feel cared about. And I'll I'll do this, I'll do all of this work to make sure that I feel like I'm being accepted. See, it plays into a narrative that our world lives by all of the time. As long as you perform, then you will be accepted. As long as you have complete obedience, then God will accept you. Now here's the problem with that. What if that isn't the way that it is? What if that isn't the way that it actually goes? There's uh, There's a passage In Romans, Romans 8, 32, it says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with uh, with him graciously give us all things? And many people look at this verse from Romans, and they believe that the apostle Paul who wrote this is looking back to this story. And he's looking back at this story, and he's saying something about it. He's saying he who did not spare his own son. And what, what, what does that mean? Well, if Paul's thinking about Abraham and Isaac, he's saying that God the Father is different than Abraham. See, oftentimes we put ourselves in the place of Abraham and say, okay, if I obey, if I do what's right, if I trust God completely, no matter what, if I give up that one thing, if I do all those things, then God will accept me. And then he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then, and then, and then. But what the Apostle Paul is kind of saying there is he's saying he who did not spare his own son. So when we look at Abraham and we say he, see Abraham kind of represents God but imperfectly. See Abraham is kind of sitting in the position of God. And Paul is saying that God the Father is the true father he's better than abraham because abraham spared his own son he's better than abraham in this respect because he did not spare his own son he did not spare jesus he did not spare him you see this a little bit more in the text. Look at verse six from Genesis 22. It says that Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he, the father Abraham, took in his hand the, the fire and the knife. So both of them, uh, so so they went both of them together. There's three things that are talked about right there that they do together. There's three things right here. And what are those three things? There's the fire, there's the knife, and there's the wood. So Abraham, the father, has the fire, and he has the knife. And Isaac, the son, has the wood. And what is this, what is this showing us? It's showing us, I think, a picture of God the Father. See, fire, I think, can represent this. It represents the judgment of God. You came to church this morning, you knew we were going to talk about judgment a little bit, don't you think? Right? The judgment of God. And it's not something to be laughed about, it's actually something real. In fact, you and I ask for God's judgment all the time. When you question in your mind, God, how come you don't do anything about evil? God, how come you do not, how come you do not stop evil? And what you're asking for in that as you're asking for God to be a righteous judge, and He truly is this. He holds the fire, the white hot wrath of the Father. And that wrath is toward all wrongdoing. It is towards all wrongdoing. And that fire in a regular uh, sacrifice to God really represents this wrath that's that's taking up, that's being taken up in this sacrifice. And then Abraham's holding the knife. And what is the knife? What could the knife be representing here? It's the power of life and death. See, here's the father who's the true father, And he not only has this white-hot wrath, this judgment toward sin that you and I ask for all the time. We want a righteous God. We don't see him taking his wrath out on evil in our world, and we want that. That's what we desire. That's what God is. He has wrath, but he also has the power of life and death in the knife. And he holds these things. And then we see the wood... He takes the wood and he lays it on his son Isaac. If you we were to look at John 19, uh, John 19, 16 through 18, it says this So he delivered over to them, it delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross. To the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus in between them. See, Jesus, he went out, and he was bearing his own cross. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see what's, what's being shown us? It's showing us not a picture of what it looks like to be obedient to God. It is sort of that but it's not a picture of how to get to God, it's a picture of how God gets to us. It's a picture of how God goes out of his way to get to his people, the people that he's called out of Ur, the people that he's called to himself. This is the picture that God is showing us. He's showing us something absolutely amazing and that is that Jesus is the one who carried the cross up the hill and really in those very same mountains it's the mountains of moriah jerusalem is built in moriah it's very possible it was the very same mountain here's jesus going through the same thing that isaac went through carrying his wood his cross up the hill but what we see is this is that jesus is or i'm sorry god the father is not a divine child abuser What we see is the Father and the Son going together. They went together. In fact, Isaiah 53 uh, verse 7 says this. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is, is silent. So he opened not his mouth. That's talking about Jesus. But it wasn't just Jesus that was involved in Working out salvation. It was God the Father as well. Isaiah 53 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When a soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It gives us this picture. So they went and they did this together. God the Father and God the Son coming together, working out salvation, cooperating together to create salvation for humanity. See, the picture isn't of here's how to get to God, be obedient and do what's right and then maybe he will love you and then maybe he'll say well done and good and faithful servant. No, the picture gets switched. And instead of God saying, now I know that you fear me, God is showing us a picture so that we can see and so that we can say, when we truly see it for what it is, we can say, now I know God that you love me God I see that the that this whole story about Abraham and Isaac is really not about Abraham and Isaac it's about the father and the son working out salvation so that you and I can really see salvation for what it is now why is that important when you look at the life of Abraham and the reason why we walk through this painstakingly, the life of, of Abraham as, he, as he's going through all of this, this trouble, as he's, as he's walking for three days and as he's, as he's talking with Isaac and he's thinking about having to sacrifice him and as, as he's lifting up the knife, do you realize that you and I, as created in the image of God, The feelings, the thoughts, and the the, the ways that we are, they really are a reflection of the true and the living God. God is not feelingless. The son was uh, was not impervious to pain and anguish. God is showing us something through the life of Abraham, and that is that the father painstakingly led the son up the hill, but with the son's full cooperation, And they did this together, until you see that God the Father painstakingly led the Son up the hill, and that the Son willingly gave His life for you, you'll never be able to obey Him. And that story will be lost on you. You'll never get the love that you're looking for. You'll never get the approval that you've been desiring for all of your life. You've been looking for it in work. You've been looking for it in religion. You've been looking for it in relationship. You've been looking for it in sex. You've been looking for it in money. You've been looking for it in all of these different areas, just like me. And until you see that the Father painstakingly led the Son up the hill, up Golgotha Hill, and allowed Him to be sacrificed, you will never be able to experience the love that you could feel when you're able to say with God, now I know that you love me. Now I know that you love me because I see what you did. I see how how you went through that. And the beauty of it is this, is that Abraham, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises when was in the act of offering up his son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named he considered that god was able even to raise him from the dead from which figuratively speaking he did receive him back see abraham was able to go through with this because he believed God. He didn't just believe in God, he believed God. God had given him promise after promise. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And so he's thinking as he's going up the hill, how did he walk up the hill? God's already given me a promise. It's a sure promise. I will have offspring. They will come through Isaac. If Isaac's dead, that can't happen. And so therefore, God will not break his promises. And so one way or another, I'm going to have Isaac back. And through Isaac shall my offspring be named. So he's going to resurrect him from the dead. And the beauty of this is here is that when you think about the idea of what if I give my life to God? It's going to kill me because I am going to have to get rid of that one thing. It's going to kill me because I am going to have to give up some stuff. God loves me in spite of that stuff, but here's what happens, is God is going to work out his obedience in your life. God not only provides the obedience for you in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, he also provides the obedience in you. And so you can think to yourself, if I go to God and I have to give up this stuff, if I go to God and I ha- it's going to kill me. Here's the beauty. But there's a resurrection. The old has gone, the new has come. You've got to lay down your life for Jesus' sake, because he laid down his life for you. And when we are baptized as believers, this is a picture of me saying, I'm dying to my old self, I'm not perfected yet, I won't be perfected when I come out of this water, but it is a picture of this, is that Jesus going to the cross for me is him dying in my place, and I identify with that cross by being put under the water. And I come out a new man, a new woman, and I'm identifying with his resurrection because I believe, I trust what God has said, that he will resurrect. It'll kill me, but he will resurrect you. He will resurrect you. And ladies and gentlemen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the greatest accomplishments that ever was because it says this. It says that everything that Jesus said, everything that he did, God's entire plan from the very beginning, even before time began, God's plan came to fruition in Jesus Christ and through his resurrection, we see that he wasn't just a person, he wasn't just a movement leader, but he was real and he was true and he was powerful and he can save you And as a result, you can say, now I know that he loves me. Now I know that he cares about me. And so here's my word to you this morning. Don't let Easter be a one-time thing for you. A little bit of church doesn't do anything for anybody. A life committed to Jesus Christ because Jesus committed his whole life to you, to the death. Don't give him just a one-time attendance with church. Don't give him just mediocre service. Don't give lip service to the idea that you like God. Give your life. He gave, he gave you his life. Give, give everything. If you really see it, then you you can't not give your life. If you really see what the father went through, if you really see what the son went through, you cannot. Not give him everything. And how do you know that you're called? How do you know that you're his? Because you respond to this in faith. And you say, I believe it's true. And you begin to walk in faith. I commend you towards walking with Jesus Christ. This morning, we have baptisms of people that have decided to ultimately give their life to Jesus Christ. They're acknowledging the fact that God has saved them. And so they're going to be baptized this morning as we worship together. I want to invite the, the, the band forward. They're going to be baptized this morning. And, and really, baptism is one of two sacraments that we celebrate. Baptism is a celebration. And so we're just going to ask all of us in just a moment here, um, as the music begins and as people uh, come in to, uh, to be baptized, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing loudly. We're going to clap loudly. These people are going to be baptized, and then we're going to pray over them uh, privately here on the side. And so this is a celebration, so won't you celebrate with us? Let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for what you've done for us on the cross. We thank you so much that we have relationship with you as a result. And so God, this morning, I'm asking that you would move on our hearts and that you would invite us into your your presence in a new way. Lord, for those of us that have have been uh, occasionally liking you, occasionally kind of um, liking the idea, maybe even thinking about this wrongly, that their obedience is what's gonna save them when really it's your obedience. It's your obedience through the cross that saves them. Lord, I pray that they would come to a new realization this morning and Lord, that their life would be changed and that they could say, now I know that he loves me and I don't have to guess about that anymore. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen.